Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 209 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are here for you once again during these crazy, crazy times to talk about all the things going on in the college basketball world related to our beloved Duke Blue Devils. We're going to have some conversations about the NCAA tournament and how the teams are picked for it. We're going to be talking a little bit about Zion Williamson and the crazy allegations going on against him right now. We got all kinds of things to chat about, but before we do, we have to say hi. We have to let you know who you're listening to. I am Jason Evans, your host this week, as always, and I am joined by my wonderful, delightful friends and co-hosts. First up in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. How's it going, Donald? It's going pretty well. I'm hanging in there. Uh, We have a a long time left in this uh, uh, shutdown or this lockdown, but we're hanging in there. Every day is a good day when you wake up. I like it. I like the positivity there. And also in Durham, North Carolina, Sam Klein. Sam, your situation is a little different today than it's been for the past couple of years, isn't it? Yes. Today I am leave. Well, I'm not leaving Durham today, but I am. This is my last full day in Durham. I am packing, which is why I just came on this morning to tell you guys hello, good morning, say hello to the listeners, and bid a quick farewell to Durham and to Duke University because I'm because I'm leaving. So I am in the midst of, I, I, I can't tell how much the listeners know about my sort of life and personality generally. I am usually a fairly easygoing guy and my stress level is usually not that high even when things are hard perhaps at work or school, but moving gives me like actual physical reaction. Like I, I start, I, I am sweaty and and shaking and I genuinely hate the the act the act of having to move so i am going to jump off the call because i need to get back to that and i won't be an effective member of this show while i am in this state before i leave i would like to say one zion didn't do it two (laughs) two i cannot wait for the final episodes of the last dance and specifically i can't wait to see how they portray Michael Jordan's flu game in the context of everybody being at home under coronavirus, because that's just, it's going to be an interesting social commentary and three, the hangover game. Exactly. Yes. The hangover game, quote, 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 the hangover game. Uh, and then finally, as I mentioned, I am leaving Durham tomorrow and I wanted to just say thank you to, to Duke and to everyone who I've encountered the last couple of years here at business school. We had graduation this weekend. It was different of course we weren't all in person we were watching it on live stream the the business school and then the university uh, on the whole both did as much as they could i think to to produce um graduation ceremonies and activities for us that felt fitting but also encouraged us to come back because they said we will have an in-person graduation at some point so perhaps i'll do a show next year from from fuqua graduation which would be a lot of fun but wanted to express my gratitude for everyone around here. I've met a lot of listeners of the show while I've been back in Durham, because obviously it's a hotspot for for DBR and for all things Duke at games at, you know, at the school. I have friends who listen to the show now, which is really cool. And and so it's, it's just been an incredible experience for me to be here. I remember when I got in to Fuqua a couple of years ago, we had talked about it on the show about how exciting it was to have any member of the show back in Durham just to be able to see the games live and and it's lived up to all of its expectations and more. So I'm, I'm very grateful to have had this experience and I'm excited to be moving on, although I won't be staying in Durham 
uh, connected here with, with, with all my friends and classmates who, who will be around. So thanks for that. And thank you guys for, for letting me not sit in for the whole show today so that I can go have my outbreak, uh, you know, in, in peace and quiet. Sam, before you go, before you go, I just want to say, yeah. first of all, I think I speak for Jace as well. Congratulations, graduate. Uh, you are the, I think you're the lone, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, you're the lone double Duke graduate uh, on yep. the podcast. So you, you have that resident expertise now uh, that you can take into the world. We're really proud of you. Uh, we know, I, and look, moving is stressful for everyone. So I totally understand where you're coming from, especially moving not to a city that's close to you. Um, it yeah. is it's definitely is definitely something that uh, everyone can relate to. So congratulations, best of luck with the move, and we'll we'll see you. Uh, so Donald stole what I was going to say, which was going to be <laughs> congratulations, Sam. Um, I, hey, I, I want to know though, I, how many bags are you packing? How much stuff do you have? So I have. I, luckily, when I moved here, I brought no furniture with me, so I'm trying to get rid of all my furniture. By the way, if you're in the triangle. <laughs> and need some I'd love to sell it to you for for basement prices, um, but I've packed. I I drive a uh, I drive like a hatchback, and I've got the hatchback nearly full, and I've got another friend's car worth of stuff that I'm uh, shipping. Up, I'm moving up to Massachusetts, and so I'll be shipping a bunch of items there. But um, yeah, getting all those things together. I've got a roommate here, so we're making sure that we split up everything correctly so it's just it's a hectic time and and not to mention you know everyone's having their trouble with with the pandemic and and things are sort of disrupted moving is incredibly challenging during this time a lot of places where i would normally go to like donate old furniture are not open um those places are some of them are not even accepting donations a lot of people aren't going out of their houses the selling things on craigslist is is more challenging than it normally is because People don't want to do transactions. Yesterday, I sold a desk and chair, and the guy I worked with was actually very nice. He left. I, I, I met him outside my apartment building, and he left the cash for me uh, underneath the windshield wiper as I, like, approached so that we wouldn't have to, like, shake hands or, or, or exchange, like, face-to-face or, you know, hand-to-hand. So it's been, um, it's been a little challenging, not to mention that I have 400 classmates that are all more or less trying to do the same thing, although we're not all exactly on the same timeline. But this week is a big departure week for us because, like I said, we had graduation last weekend. So there really isn't any there isn't any formal programming left in Durham for us to be around for. Uh, so all of that is is compounding my my normal anxiety about this process. Well, stop stressing. Uh, <laughs> get it all done. Remember to and- breathe. Yeah, we, we will take care of talking about the Duke and college basketball news for you. You are out of here. Uh, Sam Klein, thanks for joining us on this episode. When we speak to you next, you will no longer be a Duramite. That is correct. That is correct. So thank you and go Duke. (laughs) All right. So Donald, it is up to you and me now to have the conversation about all the things going on in college basketball. Uh, And the biggest thing, the thing that we're going to lead with is the allegations surrounding Zion Williamson, because these most certainly connect to Duke in a pretty, pretty big way. Um, the, the story that basically came out over the past several days, Zion is involved in a lawsuit, a very pricey lawsuit with his, uh, with a, a marketing, I don't want to call them an agent, but a marketing person. She's not uh, technically an agent. Um, uh, she has a firm called Prime Sports 
And uh, Zion originally signed a deal with her to represent him in, in all marketing deals, basically everything other than his NBA contract. And he, he signed this contract um, and uh, really within a couple weeks of signing it, uh, wanted to get out of it uh, because he wanted to sign with CAA, which is one of the biggest um, uh, marketing and agent firms uh, in, in the world of entertainment. Uh, and so Prime Sports filed a lawsuit uh, to say to Zion, no, no, uh, you put your name on a piece of paper. And, um, and so we, we, we get a share of your um, endorsement and, and other income over the next five years, which is the length of the contract. They say that's worth more than $100 million, which, by the way, tells you a little bit about how much these people think Zion Williamson is going to make from uh, endorsement deals. It is big, big, big money. But the reason this is important and significant is because one of the things that happened was the lawyer for Prime Sports has released a, uh, a, a made a filing, I should say, where where they are calling for Zion to admit to certain things. This may seem weird, like in a criminal trial, this would never happen. But this is a fairly common occurrence in a civil trial like this. What you basically say is, look, let's sort of stipulate to certain things. Let's say we all agree that A, B, C, and D happened because it'd be a pain at trial. At trial, we don't need to go through the formality of proving these things because we all know that they are true. Usually, these kind of things are, are clear and obvious. You know, admit that you actually signed the contract. You know, really simple kind of things that no one would protest to. But the way the prime sports lawyer is going ahead and doing this is he's put in some things that he says, Zion, you must admit that these things are true that are pretty controversial including saying that Zion received money, benefit, and favors and other things of value from Duke, from the Duke Blue Devils, in exchange for him playing basketball for Duke. It says that Zion's mother, Zion's stepfather, also received benefits, money, from Duke and from people representing Duke. It also says that they received it from Adidas, that they received it from Nike. There's a whole list of allegations that this guy says, Zion, you should just admit to this stuff. Donald, do you think Zion's going to admit to any of these things? <laughs> okay, so as an attorney, I, I think, bear with me, I want to break down kind of what this means and what, what we're dealing with here and why this is problematic. So requests for admissions are literally, like you said, it, it's literally trying to, to discover which facts can be stipulated by both parties, can be said, both parties agree that this is true. We don't have to talk about it at trial. Now, a couple of things that we need to recognize in this case. First, Zion actually sued in, in countersuit in North Carolina. The suit that we're talking about where these requests for admissions are in came from Florida. He filed a motion to dismiss that lawsuit based on personal jurisdiction, meaning, hey, I don't live in Florida. I've never lived in Florida, so it's wrong for you to sue me in Florida. That This whole thing is on appeal. So the whole trial has been has been delayed because of this. They're waiting for that appeal to come down before they go. So this request for admission came under that lawsuit. So what does that mean? He doesn't have to actually answer anything immediately. He, he This is going to be delayed for several months, especially with this pandemic. A lot of the courts are operating via virtual only. So this is going to take a long time for them to have to answer, answer anything. But requests for admission are are not supposed to be finding smoking guns. They're supposed to be part of the gathering of evidence. So what does this mean? One, again, he won't have to answer these 
uh, requests, but also his his lawyers can object to them. He, just because someone says, hey, it, it, you did this, doesn't mean that you have to actually admit anything or even answer the question. So Jason, just to make a, a crude example, this is like me suing you for $100 because you didn't detail my car. And then me requesting that you admit that Sam gave you the money to buy your house. Like this is, it, it's irrelevant to the case, but also it, sometimes it's brought in to make it so that it seems to the public like you did something wrong. Again, using the same example, I could say in my admissions, admit that you sell crack at the park every weekend. Now, that would not lead to anything other than people jumping to the conclusion that you're a drug dealer and you sell crack. It doesn't mean that I have any evidence that you actually do that. It's just trying to provide the conclusion that you have a lot of money through legal activities and that you can pay me my $100. That's all that's supposed to do. And, and really quick, Donald, I think that, that you just hit at the crux of why this happened. I think that this is an effort by Prime Sports and their attorneys to embarrass Zion Williamson to say, hey, look, this lawsuit is going to be really difficult. Let's find a settlement. Let's make this go away. You don't want all this coming out there. I think it's a I think it's entirely possible that it's a bit of a Hail Mary. They don't I'm not uh, I'm not convinced that they actually know the answers to these questions. Um, but if Zion you know, maybe maybe it's possible that Zion or a member of his family did get something from someone at some point. I'm not necessarily saying that they got it from Duke, but maybe from Nike or Adidas or who knows what. I mean, look, we know that there's a lot of money going on in the, you know, shoe apparel warfare game for these for these athletes. That's nothing new. So by by saying that by saying to Zion's family, hey, we know you got something. If someone did, the last thing that person wants to do is is physically go on the record and perjure themselves by answering this question. So uh, th this is this is an effort to scare them a little bit. This is an effort to, I think, get a, a settlement. No, neither side wants this to go to trial. Neither side wants to, to get on the stand and, and, and actually answer these questions under oath, right? No, absolutely not. And, and really, here's the thing, though. Request for admissions, and I, I must stress this to the nth degree, these are not, I repeat, these are not findings of fact. People are taking these requests for admission and jumping to the conclusion that they happened and that Zion and Duke did this and that the other side has proof. Again, I can request that you admit a bunch of different stuff. That doesn't mean that I have the evidence. It's This is part of the gathering of that evidence. This is part of the establishment of what issues will be fact at trial and which issues will be debated at trial. It's very dangerous for even the court of public opinion to jump to a conclusion that just because someone requested that, they, that Zion admit that he took money from Duke, from Nike, from Adidas, from wherever, that that actually happened. Remember remember Michael Evanati, the, the former lawyer, the Stormy yep. Daniels lawyer? Yep. He alleged similar things. And if you want to ask him how those allegations turned out, as of two weeks ago, you had to go to New York Metropolitan Correctional Center because that's where he's being held because he got convicted of extortion. Because he tried to take he tried to take Nike's money to prevent this evidence coming out. You know what evidence he had? Zero. And this person said he was the guy that made it happen. So we all need to kind of settle down and let this play out because people want so badly for this to happen that they don't care whether or not it actually did. We're we're not gonna learn anything from these requests for admission. And I guarantee you, months from now, when they actually answer them, is gonna be object, 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 object. Because none of this is relevant to the fact that 
Prime Sports is claiming, hey, I have a contract by with your name on it that says I get money from you for your marketing deals. This has nothing to do with that. So really, people should not assume that there's evidence of wrongdoing just because Prime Sports and Gina Ford, the 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 marketing agent, is saying, Zion, admit you did this. Well, well, the, the one minorly relevant part of it is there is some question as to uh, whether whether Zion was still a college athlete. There, there are North Carolina laws that relate to the way agents deal with athletes. Um, North Carolina has one of the strictest set of laws in place trying to govern and control agents from getting to athletes. And one of the things that that Prime Sports and Gina Ford needs to sort of show is that Zion wasn't governed by those laws because he had given up being a collegiate athlete um, uh, by by signing various contracts and by taking money from folks. That's one of the things they're working on proving. But I mm-hmm. I, I want to get past. Let's let's sort of move past the legality of all this stuff because what really matters here is the public perception and. Uh, and there's sort of no putting the genie back in the bottle. There are people out there, folks who maybe don't pay a lot of attention to these things, folks who just read the headlines, um, folks who who won't notice when this gets dismissed or when, as you say, Zion's lawyers say, object, object, object. Um, for a lot of people, all they are going to read and all they're going to know is here is an allegation in a legal filing that actively says that Zion Williamson, his mother, and his father-in-law were paid by Nike, were paid by Adidas, and were paid by Duke. And they specifically say that Duke University and representatives of Duke engaged in paying the Williamson family. Whether it's true or not, there are a lot of people out there who are going to think it's true. And I'll give you a great example of this. Uh, just yesterday on the Dan Lebetard show on ESPN, which is you know sports talk radio, but also I believe broadcast on ESPN too. Yes. Uh, they had they had Bamani Jones on. Look, I don't want to pretend that Dan Lebetard and Bamani Jones are the most objective and the most prudent and, and thoughtful of commentators out there. But they are voices that matter. They are folks who talk about, you know, the sports world with some degree of authority and people listen to them. Both Dan Lebetard and Bamani Jones essentially say it's a foregone conclusion as far as they're concerned that Zion got paid. They both say there's no question in their mind that Zion got paid by someone because as far as they're concerned, all these kids, all the top high school athletes in, in the basketball world are getting paid by someone because we know that they are worth something. And Dan Lebetard said, Zion got paid, but Duke and Zion are never going to admit to it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but, but he says he knows it happened. And Bamani Jones agreed with him, and Bamani went on to say, the real thing that's happening here is Duke having a lily white image versus other programs. And Bamani said, look, if this was, if we were saying this about Kentucky, about John Calipari, if we said, hey, there's an athlete, there's someone saying that one of John Calipari's top players got paid, no one would be saying, oh, I don't know. I, I doubt it. I, I don't think that's the case. He said, we would all just assume it was true because we assume Calipari's breaking the rules. We assume that Duke is doing the right thing. So he said, Rather than people now assuming that that this didn't happen, what they're saying is, oh, everyone gets paid. There's nothing wrong with paying the players because now that Duke has done it, Bamani Jones says it is now okay for people to do it. That essentially sort of, he took it back to the one 
and done era. Remember, people used to be very critical of John Calipari and other programs who took guys who were clearly one and done, guys who were not interested in being in college for more than one year. And then Bamani says, when Duke started doing it, everyone said, okay, it's fine. Everyone sort of goes, yeah, oh, now that Duke is doing it, this is okay. There's nothing wrong with this. And he said that this, the Zion situation now, is another example of that, that people say, yeah, it's okay that everyone gets paid because now Duke is involved in it. He's not blaming Duke. He's just saying, this is the program that everyone looks at as the standard bearer for college sports. And as a result, when Duke does it, everyone goes, all right, this is now what everyone does. I don't know that I agree with that. And I, 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 I still don't think, sorry, I know I've talked for a little bit, Donald, I'll let you get in. I, I still think there are two very, very different questions here. One is, did Zion get paid by someone? And the other is, did Duke, either directly or through an intermediary, pay Zion? I think those are two very, very different questions. Did Zion get paid by someone? I don't know the answer to that. Am I going to say it's impossible? Goodness, no. We know there's a ton of money out there. It is possible that someone paid some money to someone connected to Zion Williamson. But did Duke know about that? Did Duke take part in that? Did Duke encourage that? I feel very definitively, just knowing Mike Krzyzewski, knowing the status of the Duke program, that that is almost certainly untrue. All right. My rant's done. Donald? Yeah. So when, when Bomani joins, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fine. I'll start with, I'll start with, you know, I, I saw the, I didn't see the radio show, but I saw them talk about it on Highly Questionable. They had a little segment on it, a uh, clip on Twitter. But when they talk about it and when anybody talks about it, even if it's viewed, it's presented in a semi-objectionable light, because when it comes to Duke, most people have a narrative one way or the other. Even if it's presented in, a most, in, in the most objectionable light that you possibly could do, it's set up to draw an unfair conclusion, right? So he's saying that Duke, now that Duke has done it, which has not been established, right? That's not a fact. That's just people assuming that something's true. And then there's, they're taking the fallout of, hey, if this is true, what does this mean? But also, people are assuming that when it comes to Zion, that they're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. When they say hey, Duke paid him money, they're not thinking, because here's the thing, the NCAA, kind of, I mean, how many times have we seen people get suspended for accepting money for a sandwich, accepting a ride on a golf cart? accepting tickets from their friend's dad to go to a basketball game that were worth like, you know, 20 bucks, 600 bucks, whatever, right? Paying in the NCAA terms is anything above one penny. Anything that could be construed as I'm giving you this penny that I wouldn't give somebody else that's not an athlete. That's all this is about. So really, you know, the thing about the NCAA is they could come back and they could, and I know they've done stuff because last year when this Avenatti allegations came out, they did investigate those allegations. They said, didn't find anything. Duke didn't find anything. Independent source didn't find anything. But at the end of the day, the NCAA literally, when they said that, yo, Zion's cleared to play, remember, these allegations were the same about Marvin Bagley. We had the same similar instances. They came back and they said, look, the NCAA only has to find one penny, and they couldn't do it. So I think, again, it's very disingenuous for people to jump to the conclusion when there really isn't anything out there other than people just saying, oh, I got proof. I got proof. I'll tell you. I'm going to show you. It's the, dude, it's the dude crying wolf on the block, right? Like, 
that is what this is until there is something stand like i mean and again not again like you said not to say that this couldn't have happened that someone doesn't have evidence out there there could be it just hasn't been shown yet reggie the reggie bush allegations happened back in the day about him having a house and stuff they had the house (laughs) they had the the evidence right there in the form of the house so this person is saying admit that you know duke paid for this duke that someone bought your house that someone bought your car that someone bought this and that well, they have if they have that evidence that is right there for anyone to go find. No one has found anything yet in two years. So it's almost like people want this. Again, people want this to be true. So when someone says it and Zion doesn't immediately go, this is false, then people assume it's true. And because it's Duke, they want it to be true. So I think everyone, again, we just need to settle down. Like this is something where just because I say that something happened, doesn't mean that it actually happened and there are, that I have proof of it. People people make false allegations every single day. And people people perjure on legal documents every single day. There is nothing to suggest that just because it's an illegal document that everything about it is 100% true. And, and, and I'll wrap up with this. I am so eager for this to be over. And by this, I mean the era of college, uh, of high school, basketball players and college basketball players having to pretend like their skills are worth nothing when we all know that their skills are worth a tremendous amount of money. Uh, The NCAA is, we've discussed it extensively, is trying to put in place rules that will allow college players to, and, and, you know, by extension, high school players uh, coming into college, it will allow them to make some money um, from endorsements, from their name, likeness, and image. And, if that was in place, this wouldn't exist. We would not be talking about it. It, it. it would completely go away because the avenue for them making money would exist. And the moment that avenue exists, they can take advantage of what has been an unfair system up until now. So please, you know, NCAA, let's get this in place and, and we can eliminate this whole phase of investigating things. It will go away completely because everyone will be allowed to conduct business above board versus what has happened up until now, which is uh, shoe companies and, uh, you know, other people trying to slip money into the secretly slip money into the pockets of these players. And please, please, can that era be can we be done with that as soon as possible? All right, so somewhat related to all of this, uh, you know, we're just going to hit on this for a brief, brief moment, um, is the situation at Kansas, where Kansas has gotten uh, a notice of allegations, Kansas has responded to it, and this is all connected to the Adidas scandal um, and a number of Adidas employees um, uh, trying to funnel players to specific programs, Kansas being one of them, Kansas probably being the most prominent of those programs. And Donald, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about this. Um, The NCAA's response, Kansas's line has been, Bill Self did nothing wrong. We did nothing. We had, you know, there, there is nothing here connected to the Kansas program. It's all Adidas operating on their own. And the NCAA's response to them was pretty scathing. Uh, talk about it very briefly, if you will. Uh, you know, just what the NCAA, uh, how the NCAA responded to Kansas saying, no, no, nothing to see here. 
Well, that's I mean, it was interesting because, you know, I think it was a couple episodes ago. Time is time is a, is a fake construct at this point. But I feel like a couple episodes ago, we talked about briefly uh, the allegations or the NOSA allegations at Louisville. And you correctly predicted like, hey, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. The hammer is going to be really brought down on Kansas if we're seeing what is happening to Louisville, who, you know, took the steps necessary to kind of self-punish themselves. And Kansas, you know, has been throughout the whole time saying, Mm-mm, didn't do nothing. So I, when you hear the word egregious in relation to allegations, that's pretty bad. And I, I think what is going on here is that we're going to see how this tree shakes out. Because I think, like you said, Arizona has got to be next in this line of allegations. Louisville, Kansas, and Arizona are weirdly linked, but at the same time, I feel like Kansas is the real measuring tape because they're a blue blood. And to be involved in this, and it's not like if people will say, oh, they'll never t- punish blue bloods like Duke and Kentucky and in North Carolina. Kansas has been under violations before. They've been under probation before back in the 80s after Larry Brown left. So they have a history of doing something that would put their program under scrutiny. And that's where I think it's kind of weird that Kansas would say, mm, wasn't us this time. We, we did that last part, but this one's not us. So I feel like if the, if the allegations come down and they, and they find the fact to be true, Kansas is going to get supremely hammered. And to the point where, you know, Kansas may not be the Kansas that we have seen over the last 20 years, that perennial, powerhouse that's going to be competing for national championships and always winning the big 12 this is going to be something that could decimate their program and i think it's interesting that in light of that they didn't take the steps at least some of the steps that louisville did i mean louisville you know they were banned from postseason competition they you know they took down banners they cut scholarships they cut budget and I'm not saying that Kansas should have just said, hey, we're not going to be in an NCAA tournament because that's a big step for anyone to take, whether you're self-punishing or not. I think that all the other ones, though, could have been something that to show like, hey, even though we still think we didn't do this, we're going to take the necessary steps to show you that we are cleaning up whatever you think is wrong with our program. And not doing that and Arizona kind of not doing that as well. The Arizona really has been even mortifying, in my opinion. I, I think those two are set for the ripe for the huge fall because these guys are really playing with fire and the NCAA has the time now, so they could get really burned. <laughs> uh, look, look, the, the, the crux of, of all this is going to come down to a key question as to whether the Adidas representatives, TJ Gasnola, Merle Code, a few other guys whose names, if you followed the story, you've heard heard those names a lot. Were those folks representatives of Kansas's athletic interests? In other words, were they boosters or were they just Adidas employees trying to help Adidas and not helping any particular school? The NCAA says they were boosters. The NCAA says Adidas was trying to help Kansas, not Adidas was trying to help Adidas. Um, and that's going to be which kind of really- go which kind of go hand in hand though, right? Like if. Well, if Kansas' yeah, profile is boosted, that, that that helps Adidas by default. Exactly, exactly. But but that is that's the crux of the NCAA's argument, and and it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how that comes out 
in, in all this stuff. Because if the NCAA is able to prove and able to show that these guys were were trying to actively promote and help the Kansas program, then Kansas is sunk. Because let's be clear, um, there there is some very very damning evidence here that should that should absolutely sink Kansas. I mean, this is the NCAA's last stand. If the NCAA cannot get a major power player like Kansas, when the NCAA has incriminating testimony and text messages, text messages, and when the NCAA has gotten the help of federal investigators, if they can't get Kansas under those circumstances, then then when can the NCAA ever get anybody? Because Kansas is being incredibly defiant. They are 100% standing by Bill Self, despite text messages from Bill Self to TJ Gasnola, to Adidas representatives, where Bill Self actively says, you need to get me players. If the NCAA cannot get a program when that program is actively telling a moneyed, you know, booster, get me players, then what, when can the NCAA ever win this fight? I, I, this, this is it. I mean, like we all talked about the Carolina scandal and, and how it damaged the NCAA's image and how the NCAA looks so impotent because, here was a school cheating and the school said, no, no, we, we let everybody cheat. And so the NCAA said, oh, well, nothing we can do here. Uh, look, th- this is this comes at the very crux of what the past four or five decades of NCAA enforcement are all about. Um, and they're talking about I mean, they're talking about a show cause order for Bill Self, a Hall of yeah. Fame coach who has several final fours and a national championship under his belt. Like that is that is saying that he. They're basically saying that as far as Kansas is concerned, that he's one of the main architects of this scandal. And yep. that is a big, big deal. And here's the thing. To contrast this to the Zion situation, this is the evidence that people are talking about the Duke-Zion case like they think is in the Zion case. Like, there's nothing in the Zion case. And people are talking about that way more than they're talking about this, where their evidence is right there, at least to review. And I'm not saying that we're going to jump to conclusions because, again, I told people in the last second not to, but at the same time, we have some stuff that we can review. We have some evidence that we can, that, that has been presented that we can say, okay, do I believe this? Does this work? Did Bill Self architect this? Did Adidas do this? We have this evidence here. And if can if again, like you said, if the NCAA can't knock Kansas on this, they should just disband. Cause at that point they're just, yeah. you know, they're just there to organize tournaments. Yeah. And, and again, Let's remind folks, there are text messages from Bill Self where he tells Adidas representatives, go get me some players. Uh, To me, it's so open and shut. I think Kansas is, the fact that Kansas is being this defiant um, and the fact that the NCAA is saying, no, 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 you you know, this is egregious, this is wrong, and and there's no question about this. It, It sets them up on such diametrically opposed spots that I think it's just going to be fascinating to see whether or not they actually, you know, whether or not the NCAA is actually able to punish Kansas, whether they're able to, they're going to try to suspend Bill Self for at least a year, I think. Yeah, and and here's one more last thing, really. Like, this whole thing is about Adidas trying to make moves on Nike in the college basketball yep. world. Every player, every you know, when we talk about some of these schools, everyone talks about Nike versus Adidas schools and how, 
a lot of the Nike schools end up getting the best talent because people want to be in Nikes. They want to set themselves up for when they go pro that maybe Nike will, you know, give them their first shoe deal. This is about Adidas trying to make those inroads early so that they can sign more of these players down the road when they go to the NBA. And I wonder if that's the case, if we're looking at something where the NCAA has to address Adidas directly saying, Hey, what, like if Adidas is trying to do that to not only cripple member institutions, but also to kind of get a leg up on their competition, this is all about really feeding their competition. Then the NCAA is going to have to address Adidas as well. They're not going to just have to address Kansas and Louisville and, and eventually Arizona. They're going to have to talk to Adidas and say, you guys need to be punished for this too. You guys can't sign contracts, whatever that punishment is. But Adidas is setting themselves up to exit the college basketball world in a big way, at least as we know it. Well, and it's worth noting, I think you make an excellent point about Adidas trying to take on Nike. Part of the text messages, part of the conversations between Bill Self and TJ Gasnola of Adidas regard other programs that they say, oh, these other guys are doing it. All these Nike schools are doing it. And we talked last week about the four big players, the four biggest, most important, most significant programs in college basketball today, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, and North Carolina. Everyone agrees those are the top four, and three of those four are Nike schools. Kansas is the lone Adidas school. And I think I think you're right. There is a major part of the shoe wars that, that went into all of this. And it's going to be very interesting to see if the NCAA is in position to punish a school for being in the middle of the shoe wars. All right, so we're going to be back in just a second. We're going to be talking a lot more about the NCAA, specifically the criteria for getting to the NCAA tournament, and will there be college sports this coming fall? That's coming up right after the break. All right, so we're back, and I want to start, Donald, with uh, some really important words from Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, regarding whether or not we're going to have college sports anytime soon. Uh, Mark Emmert said that he expects, you know, probably sometime in June, um, maybe by the 4th of July, he thought we would get a decision. He, he doesn't want to wait. He doesn't want to wait until, you know, August to make this decision. But he says there needs to be a decision about whether or not there will be college sports this fall they're not talking you know they're not going to project the winter and spring yet but the fall which is college basket uh, sorry college football is the major thing that would happen this fall he says the most important criteria for whether or not we're going to have college sports this fall is whether or not there will be students on campus he said you're not going to have student athletes on campus unless you also have the other students on campus he said it doesn't mean the school has to be up and running in a full normal mode, but if schools think it's healthy enough for kids to be on campus as regular students, you know, perhaps taking classes still somewhat virtually or socially distanced, you know, all those kind of things. But if the students are on campus, he says, that has to be the first hurdle that is cleared for us to even talk about having college sports. What, what's your feeling on all this? What are the odds at this point you think that we actually get college football and other sports starting in the fall? I don't know. And, and 
really it's about like you said good, it's good about answer. <laughs> let's move uh, on no i'm kidding <laughs> yeah it, i think it's about the campuses right and and the problem is going to be if some campuses open and some campuses don't you know a lot of i mean you know, i'm a miami law grad miami posted an update a couple of weeks ago saying hey we plan on having uh plan on having students back on campus this fall but they don't know that they just that's the plan duke that's the plan but they don't know if that's actually going to be something that they can do. It all depends on how the summer goes and really this early part of the summer. And as states open back up, we're starting to see some of these states have cases go up. And these are all going to be fed into the whole thing of, you know, if if we're doing this in just a month, then what's going to happen when you bring, I mean, Duke has, you know, 13,000 grads and undergrads. That's a small school. When we talk about some of these schools that are powerhouses in college football, we're talking about 40, 50, 60, even 70,000 kids in one place. Stadiums of 100,000, 90,000, 80,000, 80,000 people in one place. So really, it, here's the bottom line. Okay, I think players are still shook. I think they continue to be shook about contracting this virus, what it could do to their bodies, which then – ties into for some of these athletes what it could do to the draft status professional leagues are starting attempted to restart all of the world and even with the measures that they have in place to keep players safe players are still getting the virus we I, i'm you know as we were recording i was finishing watching the korean baseball league which started last week they have done it um, they started amongst the second wave of cases in south korea but they've said that if one player gets infected they're shutting down I don't think they're going to do that in college once this – if they get it started back up, it's going to be hard to get them to stop again and delay. So the other thing is this. College budgets are going to take a hit. They already have because of this. And it, all the TV money, the vast amount, the tens of billions of dollars that is thrown at football, that's in jeopardy. But it's imperative that schools do not use that as an excuse to put student athletes in harm's way just because they need the revenue. We can postpone football to the spring. We can delay the start. Even, you know, we're talking about college basketball too earlier. We, we can delay college basketball to the spring. There's ways to set it up where, you know, get to the winter, the winter spring schedules are semesters where kids are then, you know, probably back on campus and then play those sports. Then it's easy to, to figure that out. But as we approach Memorial day, which is the unofficial start of summer, there are athletes who normally are on campus to start their summer workouts, and they can't do that. They can't even go to their local gyms. So really, for me, the health and safety of players has got to be paramount. But the member institutions and the NCAA needs to make sure that remains true when they start looking at the red, red numbers on their budgets. Well, and, and I think one of the key things that's going to happen here that is going to be the difficult question. To me, it's easy to say – Look, if you don't have students on campus, you're not going to require the student athletes to come back to campus. If you don't think it's safe enough for students to be on campus, you don't think it's safe enough for student athletes to be on campus. That's a given. And, and I applaud Mark Emmert for saying that out loud. Look, at, at this time, anything that you can say out loud that people can understand and, and agree upon is a good thing because we're dealing with so much uncertainty and, and, and rumors and all the other kind of stuff. So I applaud him for saying that. The, to me, the real challenge is going to be what happens when some schools say, yes, we're going to take students back, and some say we won't. Look, we've already seen the state of Montana. Um, 
has already begun putting in some areas children i'm talking elementary school you know middle school high school children back in school because montana has one of the you know tiny population very spread out population um and and they don't have a really really bad outbreak of this compared to a lot of other states at, at last count montana had less than 500 cases of the coronavirus um you know, you compare that to New York that 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 is approaching, you know, 350,000 cases. So uh, so in a place like Montana, they go, yeah, look, we, we can send kids back to school. And, and my I, I would bet that the University of Montana or whatever large universities there are in that state will have students on campus this fall. So they would say, well, so can't we play sports? Um, and and they're probably going to be other states, uh, you know, Vermont, Wyoming, Alaska. It seems sort of silly to talk about, you know, tinier states that way. But um, uh, look, West Virginia is a major, uh, you know, athletic power, athletic program, uh, competes at the highest levels. The state of West Virginia only has 1,300, 1,400 cases. Um, and and I, I imagine that West Virginia will probably say we can have students on campus. So... What do you do if, I don't know, 30%, 50%, 70% or 80% of NCAA schools have students on campus, but some don't? Do you say, okay, and we're going to go take, ahead. And remember, it, it doesn't take, just because states are opening back up doesn't mean that campuses have to, right? Like Duke yeah, yeah. and some of these other ones shut down before the states did. Some of the uh, public schools shut down before the states did. They took people out of schools. That was part of the first wave of shutting this down. So some may think it may be the last phase of reopening. So it that doesn't, I mean, just because the state's open doesn't mean a campus has to. And like you said, you're right. If all of them open up, how do you, how do you play games? Uh, yeah. And, and, and these are big questions that I don't know that any of us have the answer to, but, but I, 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 I think there's very little chance that you're going to see every NCAA school prepared for students to be back on campus in the fall. Look, there are certainly some schools that are in dense urban areas, places that have, you know, large outbreaks and the such. New York City. There's no way I can imagine that New York City is going to, you know, that NYU um, is going to say, uh, yeah, hey, students come back to campus, to the middle of New York, where where the, uh, the world is experiencing the worst outbreak we've seen, even though New York is doing a really good job of containing it. Um, Georgetown in the middle of Washington, D.C., Georgia Tech in the middle of Atlanta. The list goes on and on of, of schools that I think I, I would be highly skeptical that, that the school would say we want to bring a whole bunch of students back to campus. But is there some way that the NCAA says, look, if, if you've got students on campus, let's you, you can go ahead and play. And um, uh, and. Uh, the schools that don't have students on campus, they they just they'll have to sit this this one out, you know, get get ready for Wichita State to be the NCAA champion. <laughs> uh, I was going to say University, the Montana Grizzlies. This is their yeah. shot. Yep, this is their shot. I I think something like that is is pretty likely for this fall. And and you know who knows what happens when we get to the winter sports. Uh, we'll have a much. Yeah, I, I can't even project June. <laughs> Trying to well, project I mean, December, it, January is crazy at this point. I mean, if you think about it, like just to just, you know, dispel anything other of these other possibilities, you know, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer and the NBA have all talked about quarantining all their teams in one spot 
and playing all their games and no families and stuff like that. That's not going to happen in college because, as we talked about, I believe in the last episode, there's 353 basketball teams. There's a hundred and you know, 175 you know, that's, D1 and that's just and Division one. teams. Yeah, yeah, that's Division One. I. I mean, the so NCAA there's no way happen. that's going to happen. Yeah. And and really, and then you talk about like, okay, well, if Duke isn't open, but UNC is, why don't Duke just quarantine at UNC and take classes there? And I'm like, that's not, it's not how that's going to work. Like there's going to be so many angles that people aren't even considering that are going to be, have to be thrown into this. And every single time that happens, people are like, oh man, we can't do that. It, it's, it's just, there's, there's just too many things We're we're talking about a million things that need to happen in order and, and to borrow from Apollo eight or Apollo 13. We're on number eight. And we're talking about opening is like 692. So we have to really just start with, you know, day by day, seeing how this goes. And as again, as these states reopen, if cases go back up and they have to shut the states back down again, we're we're not talking about this year. We're now getting into next year. And I think that's, you know, it's hard to worry about, you know, college football when college football can be moved the money will be there whenever they move it just like the nba and in major league soccer they can play the 2020 season next summer and call the 2020 season and nobody will care but if they start this and players start getting sick that will be something that will haunt them for the rest of their lives yeah it's uh, the reality is I, i i think it's highly unlikely that you will see a full ncaa schedule this fall but you know, at, at least Emmert is talking about the steps that have to happen for it to get there. And I feel bad for the players. Like, I really do. because yeah. I know they're being put in a situation where they're like, they, I know they want to play. They also want to stay healthy. And it's hard to decide between the two. NBA and, you know, NFL and stuff like that, they get checks to des- that decide for them, right? Even, even, even checks that are reduced 20% or 30% of whatever they come up with, they get checks to decide, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, for that check, yeah, I'll, I'll go play. I'll risk my health. But college athletes don't get that yet. So that I know that's eating at them. And just the denial of the college experience that they signed up for is just something that I know is weighing at them. I can't, I can't imagine being in their position right now. All right, we're going to wrap up. Um... Even though we have no idea if there's going to be an NCAA basketball tournament next year, um, we do know that the NCAA has changed the way it's going to look at teams and uh, the way it's going to decide which teams make the NCAA basketball tournament. The NCAA announced this week that they are changing the net. There's been a lot of talk the past couple seasons that it's been in place about the net rankings. They used to have all these different, they had five different criteria that went into the net. They have dropped three of the five criteria. Gone is winning percentage, weighted winning percentage, and capped margin of victory. Um, I'm not going to get into a lot of conversation about what those things mean or what they are or how they worked, except for I do want to mention I am thrilled. I, I have always said that the, the capping margin of victory was a mistake. Good riddance to that measurement because any cap it's just stupid. As we've discussed before on this podcast, if you want to know who the best team is, whether you win a game by 10 points or win it by 30 points is different. What Duke did to Kentucky at the beginning of the college basketball season a year and a half ago was different than if Duke had beaten them by just a couple points. It, it's that, That's just reality 
Um, if you want to judge who's best, you need to know how badly you won. I agree there's a, no difference probably in winning by 30 and winning by 40, but there's a difference in winning by 10 and winning by 20. And there's a big difference in winning by 10 and winning by 30. And they used to cap margin of victory at 10 points, and that made no sense to me whatsoever. So that's gone. There are only two things that remain, Donald. Team value index and efficiency rating. The team value index has always been very secretive. It was the most weighted part of the old method. It will now be second in weighting to efficiency rating. Um, and I think that's a good thing. No one really knew what that team value index was. A lot of people think, think it was sort of like ESPN's strength of record. It sort of looked at how impressive your record was considering the schedule that you played. Um, uh, it, it remains, but it will be uh, de-emphasized a little bit in comparison to efficiency rankings. And efficiency rankings, as we all know, are basically what Ken Pomeroy does. Um, it's looking at how, you know, how effective is a team at scoring and how effective is a team at preventing other teams from scoring. I think as a result of this change, we are going to see the NCAA's net look a lot like Ken Pomeroy's efficiency rankings. My, my bet is it's going to be almost identical to them. Donald, what's your feeling about these changes that are coming to the net? I agree with you in re, you know removing the, the capped margin of victory. I thought that was dumb to include that. I think the, the one thing we have to worry about, or at least not worry about, but really to pay attention to how it comes out whenever these rankings first come out, sometime next year is that the net efficiency now factors in strength of schedule and game location, but the team value index includes all of those components. So really those like the strength of your opponent and the game location are two of, you know, the three opponent or three components of the adjusted net efficiency that are going to be factored in twice. And so really I think what that boils down to is true road wins are going to be weighted more than yep. true home wins and, and even some neutral site, depending on who you're playing. So I, I'll be interested to see how that makes it, you know, maybe what that does is it kind of eliminates the, the absurdity of those first couple ones. You know, when you see the net come out, like in February, it's always like some random team that's in the top five. And you're like, who is this team? And why is he, why are they 12 and seven? And why are they in the top five of the, of the net? I think that's going to go away because of, these uh, these components that have been eliminated, but it will be interesting to see how it does shake out and really how Ken Palm and these other ones in Sagarin, like those type of polls, if they factor in more because people already revere them and it's going to be interesting to see how the net formula, how it lines up with that. And if people just say, oh, well, this is still widely absurd. Let's just disregard it in comparison to the BPI and, and, Ken Palm and Sagarin and those type of ratings. Yeah, and, and I'm I am really glad that you pointed this out that that there's going to be some some weighting some some extra attention paid to where'd you play them and how good was your opponent. Uh, to me, those are that that's like literally the most important thing in my mind. Um, you know, look, we can we can talk about efficiency rankings and they are really important, but but the the way to get a really good efficiency ranking is to play a good team in a tough circumstance and beat that good team. Show that you are more efficient, that you are better at offense and better at defense than that team. And uh, the NCAA, by the way, has also said that, that you know, their new rankings are gonna sort of put extra weight on, on teams 
that are like tournament quality teams. Uh, it, it, it looks like there's going to be something where, you know, somewhere around the top 40, 50 or 60 or so, if, if a team, if you're playing a team that's in that, that area of the rankings and you beat them, that they're going to sort of give you an extra boost. You, you can't, you can't make your record look really good by just playing a lot of bad teams. Uh, um, well, so Syracuse, I mean, pay attention. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's bringing in, you know, as you guys know, like you guys deal a lot more with the analytics of things. I deal a lot more with the eye test of things. That's bringing more of the eye test in there. When someone's, I mean, just think about it. After all of these, you know, rankings and, and sabermetrics and stuff, at the end of the day, when we talk about the NCAA tournament, we talk about teams who are on the bubble, we go, who did they beat? Yep. Oh, NC State beat Duke at home. And, you know, you know, this team beat North Carolina on the road, like whatever they beat Kansas on the road. Those we don't look at. Oh, well, they're you know, their Ken Palm is at eight. You know, they go, who did they beat and where did they beat them? So I like that they're including more of that in there and strengthening because that's the eye test that some fans are like, yo, when I see a good team, I see a team it live in person. It doesn't matter what their saber matches are. It matters how they play in the court. And if you can beat X, you know, these type of teams, then I want to see you in the NCAA tournament. I love it. That is a good way to wrap things up here on DBR podcast episode 209. We, we unfortunately had to say goodbye to Sam very early on so he could pack up and leave good old Durham and move on to the next phase of his life. But for Donald in Washington, I am Jason in Atlanta. Thank you, all of you, for joining us on this podcast. Please stay safe. And uh, we will now leave it up to the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. <laughs>